From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my high honor to have as my guest, Dr. Maxime Nogier, who is the executive director of the St. John Paul II National Shrine here in Washington, D.C., where the Archdiocese for the Military Services will hold its annual benefit uh, this November. Uh, Dr. Nogier, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Taylor, for your invite. And uh, so I've had the privilege living here in D.C. to have come by the shrine many times. Um, but for the benefit of our listener who's never been there, uh, let's talk about the shrine and what is there to see at the St. John Paul II National Shrine. I know it went, underwent a major renovation after the Knights of Columbus acquired it in 2011. Tell me a little bit about, about the background of the National Shrine. When was it built? When did the KFC uh, purchase it? And what sorts of renovations have taken place since the Knights of Columbus acquired the shrine? So the Knights of Columbus purchased uh, the shrine, the building, in uh, 2011. At that time, the building was uh, previously named the Cultural Center, named after Pope John Paul II. And the vision for this building was to make a place where the teachings, uh, the, yeah, the, all, the, all, the, all the value of the pontificate could be you know, uh, discovered, known, and experienced by people who maybe never had a chance to travel to Europe to meet with Pope John Paul II, or maybe, or maybe by people who was born after he passed away. So very much the vision was to offer the possibility to discover a man uh, who became a pope and who happened to be a saint. And the first thing people will see when they go to the shrine is a religious place with a beautiful church and a chapel dis- uh, decorated by Father Marco Rupnik, who, who worked for John Paul II. And you have these beautiful mosaics on the, on the, on the wall of the church where the beautiful theological contain, um, meanings. And, uh, and the, the, the church is named after the first encyclical written by Pope John Paul II, the Redeemer of Man, Redemptor Hominis. And the chapel is named after the mysteries created by John Paul II uh, for the rosaries, the Luminous Mysteries Chapel. And in this chapel, you have the relic of John Paul II, a blood relic, something very unique given by Cardinal Zewish to Pastor Supreme Knight Carl Anderson. And uh, in, in this first floor, you can just very much discover a unique place a unique church in a very unique atmosphere and, and, and have, you know, uh, all the benefit, I would say, a national shrine can offer to pilgrimage. At the lower level, we have a presidential class exhibit uh, where you, you, you see the life of John Paul II as a pilgrimage. And this exhibit starts from his childhood in Poland. And, and, and after you have the first chronological, I would say, approach of the life of the Pope, you reach 1978 when he become a pope, and um, he becomes a pope. Sorry, and then uh, and then we we have the themes you know developed by Pope John Paul II during his pontificate, very rich, very meaningful for our days today, 
and and you see why the themes you know for instance um, on marriage and family on uh, inculturation on uh, dignity of life and labor has a direct impact on our daily life today as Christian and I can tell you from my own experience going into the shrine the church that you refer to is brilliant it's mm-hmm. dazzling when you walk in what the Knights of Columbus did is extended the building to make a building a little bigger so we can welcome people and have access to the, to, to the chapel. But they created the church. And, and the, the, the beauty of this chapel is not just because of you know, the mosaics and the very rare material having used to make that um, mosaic, uh, chapel. It's very much what do we mean? What, 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 the, what is the intention of the artist? And the beauty of the, of the shrine is the theological meanings, the pastoral intention, and the personal experience everyone can have in this chapel is something very unique. It's a total, uh, it's, it's combined, it's, it's unified. And, and this is what you know, the artists wanted to make you know, in this church and also in the chapel, is the, the church is a prefiguration of of heaven where everything is transformed even the light the, the stained glass you know transforms the light and and you have this perfect this perfect harmony it's not a church where you know you have all the chapel for uh, this particular group or this chapel for this devotion and other uh, chapel on the side for this other devotion now this this church had been thought as a wall and and leads you toward the Redeemer of man, who is Christ. And, and here you have to see that because you have this unique Christ behind the altar. And, and, and it's an experience. It's an experience for every man, man of goodwill, but also for every Christian, also for the penance, and for people who just want to meet Christ after the teaching and the example of John Paul II. Okay, so it started out as a cultural center. Mm-hmm. What year was it built? Well, uh, it was built in 2001, if I remember correctly. At that time, I was not in the United States. Uh, it was uh, built by Colonel Maida. And uh, John Paul II at that time gave permission to use his name uh, to make a, a, a cultural center. And you have to understand that culture in the in the for John Paul II had a very, very deep meanings, especially for people from Poland who were you know, under the influence of the Soviet regime. And, and this importance of culture was so deeply involved and so present in the life of John Paul II that it was for him very crucial that this cultural center was in the national capital. I see, so it was built before the death of St. John Paul II, uh, then in 2011 acquired by the Knights of Columbus, and then in 2014 the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops declared it a national shrine the same day that uh, Pope John Paul II was declared a saint. Was canonized, correct. Uh, all right, and uh, Sal, you mentioned a couple of relics. Well, there's one blood relic. Uh, well, I have two blood relics. We have one you know, in the altar of the, ch- of the chapel, and the other one which is in a beautiful rakery offered by uh, Colonel Zewish and can be moved and um, brought in procession. 
we have also relic of American saints or be saints made uh, declared saints canonized during the pontificate of John Paul II. I'm thinking about Saint Catherine de Caquita. Um, I'm the uh, Saint Faustina. You have uh, other saints, which obviously I don't remember the name, but I would say the, the saint depicted and, and, and the relic we have in the altar are saints who can who are an expression of the faith on the North American continent. It's a, it's a national shrine located on the North American continent. And, and those saints are also depicted on the mosaics, on the pillar of the church. And, and it's, it's also an invitation, you know, uh, from God for us to see that those saints are paving the way for us to lead us to, to, towards Christ. I'm talking to Dr. Maxime Nogier, who is the executive director of the National Shrine of St. John Paul II, the shrine located at 3900 Harewood Road Northeast here in Washington, D.C. And so, um, Dr. Nogier, let's talk a little bit about your background before we move on. Uh, you, are, you have a doctorate in bioethics. And uh, so tell me a little bit about your background and how is it that you came to be the executive director at the St. John Paul II National Shrine? Well, it's a, it's a long story, but let's make this story shorter. Uh, so I'm French, as your, your, your followers will uh, understand. And uh, while I was making my law school in Lyon, France, uh, I had the opportunity to, to go to Rome to study bioethics it was in 2002, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and I was supposed to go to Rome for a few years and happened that, you know, while I was um, finishing my studies, uh, my doctorate, I had the opportunity to be hired at the, for a temp employee at the Pontifical Council for the Family. Uh, and at that time we were under the pontificate of Benedict XVI. And, uh, in this context, I met with uh, past Supreme Knight Carl uh, Anderson and his wife, who were members of the of the Council for the Family. The Council for the Family was at that time the only one council to have members, couple as members, you know, wife and woman, uh, husband and wife. And um, and when the knights, you know, uh, purchased the the, the the shrine in Washington and uh, decided to extend their activity in France, I had the possibility to work for them and uh, I moved to the United States. Uh, I was um, moved to Washington and uh, been working with Mr. Patrick Kelly for a few years and uh, became a deputy director uh, when he was moved himself to New Haven, Connecticut. And Patrick Kelly, of course, the Supreme Knight who succeeded Carl Anderson. Yes. And you and your family, your wife and two children, live here in Virginia. My wife is American. We live in Virginia. And uh, I try to have my children being French. And they're at least speaking French to me. So, yes, we are, we are very much a perfect American family, I guess. And uh, you also have a law degree? No, I don't. I no, see. No, I, I, was, I, was, I was making my... my Law studies, and I was not happy with that because the first thing you know, <laughs> the first thing you te- the professor teach in France when you do law for Catholics, say okay, law is not the moral, no is not the good, law is the law, and I, I I was just I was just very shocked, and no, I I guess 
from bioethics was very much you know having what what it say actually in, in philosophy ratio you know the encyclical written by Pope John Paul II is you know how you can combine you know the, the good with your rational understanding of what what is what is the truth you know what what's good is really and bioethics was a perfect response for me at that time. I see. Okay, so um, the um, Archdiocese's annual benefit will be held on November 19th at the uh, St. Paul the Second National Shrine. Mm-hmm. And um, we expect, um, as usual, hundreds of benefactors and guests to um, attend. Uh, what can folks expect when they come into the shrine that night? If you can describe for us the ambiance, the surroundings that uh, our benefactors will uh, be treated to when they attend the benefit. Well, so I the first thing they will experience is darkness because usually when the, the dinner starts, it's dark already external and outside. And I think they will experience, you know, the the first floor, this ambulatory, this portrait, uh, and, 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 and the church. And I, I would say... Uh, if I remember correctly, the, the, the benefit dinner is all, there's, there's always a mass before. So Correct. I think, yeah, so, so they really experience very much, you know, the, 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 the church, the church who can host uh, more than 300 people. So they will see the church definitely. And I would say, if you come to, the ma- to mass, make sure that after church, you go to the chapel on the side of the church, you know, and you, you go to the ambulatory, you, and you have time to venerate the relic. It's something extraordinary to have here on the North American continent such a precious relic which is very much the blood of John Paul II and and if your if your benefactor you know uh, benefactors want more they can ask for free a, 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 a sacred heart tour at the shrine in the following days a scheduled tour and they will see that the beauty of the mosaic is not just a physical beauty, it's not just an artistic beauty. This is something which resonates in the heart of every single person who have been touched by the grace of faith or can be invited to believe just because they will understand something that a book cannot tell. And I have this beautiful story about a man who came to the shrine a few years ago and, and experienced a Sacred tour and came back to our visitor service specialist and said, you know what, since my visit to the shrine, I asked to be baptized because I, that, that, that truly changed my life. I see. So let me get this straight. You have a church and you have a chapel. Mm-hmm. They're two separate spaces. Um, which is where the ampule of Pope John Paul II's blood in the chapel, in the, the small the, chapel, the small chapel, which is uh, off to the side of the the church, and the church is where the the beautiful radiant mosaics are. Yes, I see. And if you you're not coming to a benefit by invitation or by registration, mm-hmm. uh, how much does it cost uh, for a family or a person to tour? the St. John Paul II Shrine? Everything is free. So the shrine is, 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 is open to the public, you know, uh, 365 days a year. Uh, we are open to from 10 a.m. to uh, 3.30, 5 p.m. during the weekend, and uh, uh, 8 p.m. on Sunday. And uh, so everything is totally free. You, you, can, you can visit the church for free. You can visit the exhibit for free. You can have, uh, if you bring your food, you can have a lunch on site for free. 
uh, we provide some material for free and uh, the Sacred Heart tools provided by our staff members are, are free as well. And the exhibits throughout the shrine uh, depict uh, the life of Carol Wojtyla. Carol mm-hmm. Wojtyla. Thank you. Um, not so good on my Polish or French. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, that's who um, we, the, the, the man we came to know and love is Pope yeah. John Paul II. Uh, from Poland. So the the exhibits basically walk us through his life. Correct. What sorts of things are on display that call to mind those different phases of his life? Well, first of all, the the, the exhibit, uh, I mean, it takes at least one hour to go through. So it's not something you say, oh, we, we have an hour, Let, let's go to the shrine. You're always welcome for one hour, but it, it takes much more than an hour to visit and make an experience of the shrine. In the exhibit, you know, you you see the the first the first room is is this you have this uh, uh, seven minutes video on a panoramic uh, screen uh, and and then you you discover you know how in Poland in uh, in the twenties in this land shaped by the Christ- Christianity you see a young man who doesn't have an easy life you know his mother passed away shortly after he. I mean, during his childhood, uh, he lost his brother, and by 20, his father passed away as well. So at 20 years old, you have this man. We are just before World War II. He has going to he he, he goes through the Nazis' horrors, then he experienced communism, and 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 you see that in the middle of this darkness, there is a light. It's 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 a human light, and it's a light where is responding to a call, to a vocation, and he becomes a priest. And he attends, you know, the, a clandestine seminary and and he studies. And and you see that this man is just a man of prayer. He's a man who, who loves theater. He's an artist. He he he's an avid reader. He he learned many different languages. And this man becomes a bishop, an archbishop. And then seventy eight he, he goes to Rome and he's, uh, he would elect John Paul I. And a few months later, he's elected John Paul II. For the people who don't remember what does it mean to be you know, a, a, Polish po- a Polish cardinal in 78, keep in mind that Russia is Soviet regime. The, 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 the wall of Berlin still exists. Uh, it's a revolution. So for a few seconds, when the Italians, you know, heard on St. Peter's Square, you know, the name of uh, Cardinal Wojtyla, for a few seconds, they think it's an African. And now this man from, come from Poland. And Poland is not Eastern Europe. Poland is Central Europe. It's the heart of Europe. And in terms of very, the very few countries where even though the Polish government disappeared for a few centuries, it's what we call the partition of Poland. The, the Polish identity remained, and this identity is is deeply connected with the, with Christianity, with the Catholic faith, and this man defeated the the Sovietic um, thought that city is made with no God, and so it is in a sense I I don't like this word revolution, but it's it's a tr- total transformation of the church where you have this man. Crossing, you know, the uh, uh, iron cust- um, curtain. Curtain. Thank you. 
and 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 he's young he's young we are talking about somebody who is 58 years old and he become he becomes pope and and first trip he makes is mexico 1978 and in mexico city you have among many how many he gave but you and you, you you see you know you you see who is john paul ii he arrived and kiss the ground and why does he kiss the ground he kiss the ground because he knows the faith arrived here before this is this is you know this is this land you know the holy spirit worked on this land before he arrives he he he, he recognizes there is a culture here and 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 he come as a visitors not not as you know conquistador not like somebody who was you know to impose himself and and while he talked to the Mexican, you know, about already of Guadalupe, he he makes this very profound connection between you know already of Jasnagora in Poland and already of Guadalupe, and he explained you know, why culture interact with the faith, and and this man just ch- he changed the ch- he sh- he changed the church just by his teaching by his way to understand man and and he has not been just talking to the christian or the catholic since the early beginning of his pontificate and the how many when he say open 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 doors to christ he said let christ talk to the man he doesn't say let's cry let christ talk to the christian or to the baptized to the man mankind all man on earth and for the first time, we see a pope who openly, you know, addresses his message to the humanity. You know, um, I'm a year or two older than you, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I well remember the big impact of uh, a pope from outside Italy. Um, as a reporter in a past life, I got to cover Pope St. John Paul II several times. Uh, the most memorable was in Denver for World Youth Day back in uh, 1993. Uh, the thing I remember most about him, looking at him at the altar, was his face radiated mm. peace and holiness. You could feel it, you know. And uh, I well remember, too, the uh, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. I traveled there and understood what it was like. And so I, I, I get it, you know, that uh, he was... Uh, motivated by uh, his you know his his love for Christ and his knowledge that communism is built on atheism and it's not what Christ taught us um, well let me ask you this um, what is the significance of a national shrine what is a what is a national shrine how, how does that differ from any Catholic Church anywhere well the uh, so first of all, national shrine is something uh, un- unique to the American uh, church. I mean, you don't have national shrines in Italy or in Spain or in, in, in France. Um, a national shrine, I would say, the first thing to define, it's not a parish. So for instance, we, we don't celebrate the sacrament of matrimony. Uh, it's very, very rare we have funerals. It's, it's not allowed, actually. And uh, we don't do baptism because those sacraments are being made in the in the parish. The national shrine, it's uh, it's like a gas station. <laughs> a spiritual gas. It's station. a spiritual gas station. <laughs> it's a spiritual gas station open to everyone, especially for people who maybe they are looking for something they will not have in your parish level. 
um, just a, first of all because it's it's uh, it's a place for pilgrimage. So when you you, you can go every 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 Sunday to, to to your parish for mass, but you go once in a while to try just because your intention is different. You can walk, you can take your car, you can go with your family, you can go by yourself. But it's there's also there's there's a, there's a dynamism, a spiritual dynamic when you go to a shrine because it's it's something different. It's it's on the side. So then you you we we offer at the shrine the sacrament of reconciliation, the mass every day, and 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 the time for prayer is different. Obviously, everyone you know pray like he wants, you know, on Sunday at mass. But it's 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 more that you know you want to be uh, refill in a shrine that you would do in your parish church. It's also a place where you you can go with your family. You know, at the GP2 shrine, we have you know a lot of things to do during the day, so you can very much you know keep a family busy for one day. And also, it's a place where you discover where you don't see at the parish level. We have unique programs, the pastoral programs made for family, for young people, young adults, uh, elderly people. It depends on you know, which time of the year we are in the liturgical calendar. But we also have programs with people who are Christian and maybe not Catholic. So, so the shrine is a place to welcome everyone. And it's interesting to, to, to notice that uh, the shrine is also, uh, it's like the, the, the Point of the sword of the Catholic Church, we are we are sent to evangelize. The shrine is not a museum. We are not remembering. We are not looking to recover a glorious past. Not at all. If you want that, go to a Smithsonian museum. Go to a, or a castle in Europe. It's not about that. We are we are being sent in mission. The, the, in the gospel, we we find the expression that we have been sent to the Gentiles. We are here to intru- to present our faith. We are a self-confident church in middle of the world. We want to be a light in middle of the world because we 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 have all this unique teaching, unique background of John Paul II for our current times, and we are very much made to be here now, 2022, to evangelize the world with the word of John Paul II to lead people to Christ. I like the analogy of a spiritual gas station. It's a source of spiritual energy. And it's not just for Catholics. It's for everybody. Yeah, and there's no inflation here. <laughs> I have one last question in the short time we have left. Uh, what, what is it about this shrine that, uh, that the Knights of Columbus got so involved over? I mean, what, what part of the Knights of Columbus mission does this shrine fall into, if that makes any sense? Well, it's a tricky question because uh, the shrine is not branded. It's not the Knights of Columbus National Shrine. It's a Saint Jean Paul II National Shrine. So this this shrine is, in a sense, uh, it's been given to church. It's not a private church. It is the Catholic Church. It's part of the Catholic Church. And as a matter of fact, we are a national shrine not because the Knights wanted that. It's as, we are a national shrine because the USCCB recognize this shrine as a national shrine so now it it for it was a direct you know a direct decision of uh, supreme knight uh, Anderson and obviously all his collaborators and the and the leaders uh, who wanted to make had that happen for for me ma- for many reasons i think i would say 
you know, if you read Ecclesia in America, you see that this, the Pope has for the, uh, for, for the, for the American continent this unique vision, and, and he sees that it's, it's a path for the development of the church here in the United States, and the America, as Pope said, not the Americas. And, uh, and in fact, the Knights of Columbus are very involved to support the church, to evangelize the church. So there is a strong right, ha- right arm of the Catholic Church, and, and it's also, I think, you know, a, a way to say thank you for the church, for having brought to us such a great pope. His teaching has a sense for the young generation today and the one generation who come after. I've been talking to Dr. Maxime Nogier, who is the executive director of the St. John Paul II National Shrine here in Washington, D.C., which will be the site of the November 19th annual benefit for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. The shrine located at 3900 Harewood Road Northeast in Washington, D.C. The November 19th annual benefit will start at 5 p.m. Eastern with Mass, followed by a reception and sit-down dinner. Dr. Nogier, I could go on and on. There's so much we haven't talked about. Uh, you are a knight yourself, and yeah. you are instrumental in uh, the annual Warriors to Lourdes journey uh, to France, which I was fortunate enough mm-hmm. to go on this past year. But we're out of time. We can't talk about that. But thank you Next so time. much. Thank Thanks you so for much for the talking. invitation again. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.